with you tonight, if you would open them to the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 1. What I'd like to speak to you tonight about, and I believe we'll just find it right here in the text as we look at 2 Timothy, and we'll be picking up at verse 8 through the end of the chapter. I've titled tonight's message, Being a Witness for Christ. Being a witness for Christ. I want you to think, just before we get started, think with me a little bit about what might be on the mind of the Lord today and on the mind of the Lord at all times. The Bible teaches, tells us why the Lord tarries or why Jesus Christ has not yet returned. Jesus, when he left, remember, he said, I will return. I'm coming back, coming back for my church. And remember when he ascended up into heaven, he went up into the clouds, and all the disciples were standing there watching him go up into the clouds. And an angel came and said, why do you look up into the clouds? In the same way that he went, he'll come back. You know, don't, 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 uh, don't worry, he's coming back. Don't, don't stand longing as if you'll never see him again. In the same manner that he rose, he will, he will also come again to the earth. And the question is, well, what's taking him so long? When's he coming back? And Peter gives us a little insight into that. He says, the Lord's not slow about his promises. It's not like the Lord just is slow about keeping his promise of coming back. But he's waiting. He's waiting in order for more men to have opportunity, men and women to have opportunity to hear the gospel so that they can be saved. So really, the Lord's the only one of the main reasons the Lord has not yet returned is because of His mercy and His love, not wanting any to perish, but to give everyone opportunity to come to know Him and to be saved. I'm glad that He waited for me. I'm glad He didn't come when I was a young, rebellious teenager, not saved, didn't know the Lord, living in my own way, doing my own thing. Had He come at that time, He would have come and I I would not have been ready to meet Him. So I'm glad that he tarried. I'm glad that he waited. That's what that word tarry means. To delight. How did it happen for you? I know how it happened for me. Someone told me about Jesus. Someone gave the witness of Jesus Christ to me. We all know what a witness is, right? A judge will call you up and you, you, know, you raise your right hand. You swear to tell the truth. And your truth of the witness of Jesus Christ. And with that blessing of being a Christian comes that responsibility to be a witness. In the same manner that you received Christ, so we should be given. You and I have an obligation to tell others about Jesus. And so that's what I want to look at tonight. I believe that's what the Apostle Paul encourages in the heart of Timothy. His young apprentice there, he's a young minister in the Lord. And Paul, as we looked at last week, this is maybe some of his final words before he himself was martyred for his faith. But he writes to Timothy, and, and if you remember last week, we kind of finished off there, verse uh, 6 and 7, where Paul was reminding Timothy to stir up the gift within him. Timothy, don't let this spiritual life in you go dormant. Stir it up. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. And with that, he now goes on to talk about how to be a powerful witness for Christ. Therefore, he says in verse 8, and connects the rest of the chapter, 
And I have six things that I believe he points out to Timothy and I'd like to point out to you and I tonight. Six things that are essential if you're going to be an effective witness for Christ. Right there in verse 8, the very first portion of verse 8, I believe that one of the things that must be in your life if you're going to be a witness for Christ is that you must not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Look what he says. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. If you're going to be an effective witness for Christ, you can't be ashamed of Him. You can't be kind of a closet Christian. Well, I'm a Christian, but I just don't want anybody to know because it might be a little embarrassing. That's being ashamed of identifying yourself with Christ. And Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, don't be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord Jesus. Anybody ever felt that shame? Anybody ever felt that hesitancy to open your mouth? Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. <laughs> now, you feel that pressure sometimes, peer pressure. And it's not just, yeah, amen, it's not just for young people, you know, in high school. It goes all the way up into adulthood. You can be in the workplace and an opportunity presents itself and you can, you can make the announcement that you're a Christian or you can just keep hold your peace and nobody will know and everybody will just go about their business. And sometimes we, we shy away from that. You know why? Because we don't want to suffer the reproach. We don't want to be looked at as weird or strange. We don't want to be considered as... Uh, we, we want other people to think that we're kind of like them. right? We're cool. We're not, we're not you know, strange people. Well, the truth is most of us are strange anyway. But to identify yourself with Christ sometimes sets you apart. It sets you in a place potentially of persecution. This word testimony, Paul says, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. That word testimony is a Greek word called martyrion. And it's the word that we get the word martyr from. Marturion, excuse me. Marturion. It means witness. And it originally that was the word that meant witness, but in the early church, so many Christians lost their lives because of their witness. They were martyred that the word marturion became synonymous with those not only were they witnesses, but they were witnesses who lost their lives. And that's why the word carries the meaning to us. Martyr means more than just a witness. It means someone who actually died for their witness, someone who gave their life. And that was quite prevalent in the early church. And for many years, under the Roman culture, there were many that gave their lives. So to be, it'd been easy to be, it would have been very easy to be ashamed of the testimony because to, to identify with that testimony may have cost you your life. Baptism, down in the water and you come up again, right, in the name of the Lord. And that whole thing is a symbolic, you are, your old man is being buried, just like Christ's body was bare, crucified and buried, and you're coming up out of the water a new person. And Jesus instructed the disciples that, you know, when you go out and, and witness for me and you share my testimony, when people accept me, baptize them. Because baptism is kind of like this public display saying, I am a Christian. I am willing to be numbered with Christ. So much so that I'm willing to be in public baptized. A symbolic union with Christ. That's why baptism is important. It doesn't have any magical power 
in the, the actual exercise of the water, but it has a spiritual importance in our lives because it helps us to, 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 to say, I am with Christ. And if you're going to be an effective witness for Christ, you're going to have to settle that. You're going to have to decide which side of the fence you're on. You're going to have to make a choice about who you're willing to be identified with. Because it's going to be, it's going to cost you. Undoubtedly, there will be some persecution. Peter said this, talking about those who had become Christians. One of the things that happens when you identify your life with Christ is your lifestyle changes. It should. A true born-again Christian no longer does the things that they used to do. They no longer do all of the things that they were maybe once comfortable doing in the world. First Peter, you don't have to turn to it, but I'll read it to you. First Peter chapter 4 and verse 3. And I'm going to read it out of the, the New Living Translation because it just gives a little more uh, flavor to the, to the meaning of the passage. It says this, You have had enough time in the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy, their immorality, their lust, their feasting and drunkenness, wild parties, and their terrible worship of idols. Now, you've done that in the past. You've had enough of that. God's changed you. You're not living that way anymore. Of course, your former friends are very surprised when you no longer join them in the wicked things that they do and they say evil things about you. Once you identify yourself with Christ, there will be, there may very well be a separation from old friends. There may be a separation from current friends. And you won't be able to run and hang and do the things that you used to do. You won't be able to talk and laugh at the same jokes that you once thought were funny. Because you're now identifying yourself with Christ and your conscience has been made alive by the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, you want to please God and you want to live in a way that's pleasing to God. And that's part of your union with Christ. Guess what? You're going to suffer for that. There's people going to say, hey, come on, come on. What's wrong with you, man? You, always, we are, you, were, the, you were the leader. <laughs> come on, now you won't even hang with us. What's wrong with you? Oh, you think you're too good for us? Oh, you're Mr. Spiritual. What's wrong with you, man? You used to be so cool. Now you're this really, you know, weird person. And there's a tendency to be ashamed of Christ and to, yeah, I don't, I don't want to be, I don't want to be, you know, I want to, you know, yeah, I want to be a Christian, but I want to, I still want to be cool. I still want to, I want to dress right. I want to look right. I want to talk right. I want to walk, you know, I'm talking to some of the young people. There's a whole, there's a whole walk, you know, there's a whole, there's a whole thing that, that I can't do it, okay? But, you know, I, I recognize it when I see it. There's a, it's, it's, it's a swagger, you know? It's this whole kind of image. And um, we're ashamed of sometimes, you know, and adults too. I mean, there's a whole culture at work. There's a whole thing that you don't say. Some of the things that, that get you into trouble. Bible, the Bible. I believe the Bible is God's Word. Well, you say that in some places and they'll laugh you out of the place. <laughs> you believe in the Bible? It's a bunch of old stories and fables. Come on. We're scientists around here. Jesus is the only way to salvation. Oh, you're so narrow-minded. You don't really believe that, do you? Jesus is the only way. Come on. There's, what about Buddha? What about... 
you know, all these other wonderful religions and some people are doing all these wonderful things. Come on, Jesus, the only way? Sex before marriage is wrong. <laughs> right? In today's culture, that's almost, that just seems absurd. Oh, come on. We don't believe that. That's why we hand out condoms at the high school. We don't, you know, sex before marriage, come on. These kids are going to be doing it. It's normal. It's natural. Are you ashamed to be identified with Christ who would call you to a standard of holiness? Homosexuality is wrong. Do you know that that, that isn't real popular in, in, in our culture today for you to take a stand like that? Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, don't be ashamed of Christ and what He means and what He stands for and you are being identified with Him. Do not cower back from the, at the world just because they tell you that homosexuality is fine, it's just an alternative lifestyle. Who are you, narrow-minded? You're, you know, you're so judgmental. This is what I believe. And this is part of my union with Christ. This is part of what I stand for. It's not because I'm trying to be mean or judgmental. It's because I'm trying to believe and hold on to truth. And it's part of my Christian faith. Don't be ashamed, young people, older people, all of us. Don't be ashamed of the testimony. Don't be afraid to identify, yes, I am a Christian and here I stand. Oh, we need that in today's culture. We need to be lights. We need to be salt. That's number one. Don't be ashamed of his testimony. What's the second thing that I believe needs to be in your mind and heart to be a, an effective witness for Christ? Right there in the second half of verse 8, you are going to have to be prepared to suffer. Look at, I'll call it verse 8b. Don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, His prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Paul was a prisoner. Remember, Paul was in a Roman prison when he wrote this letter. And here's what happens. Here's what happened to Paul. Because he was a prisoner for his faith, a lot of people distanced themselves from him. I don't want to don't don't tell anybody that I used to hang around Paul. I don't want to get arrested. I don't want to be I don't want to suffer the same thing he's suffering. And Paul said, Timothy, don't be ashamed of the testimony, don't be ashamed of your relationship with me, his prisoner, and come share in the sufferings that come with being a Christian. Prepare yourself church. Prepare yourself, young person. Be ready to suffer for the faith. I'm not saying you go look for it. Anybody want to persecute me today? You know, I'm not saying we search it out, but I'm saying in my heart, I'm prepared that it will most likely happen. You know, we took a missions, we've taken a couple of missions trips to India. And when you go to India, it's a whole different world in terms of accommodations, <laughs> sleeping accommodations, travel accommodations, climate control, some you know, food, uh, sanitary, pardon me, bugs, <laughs> the restroom facilities. It's a whole different deal, okay? And I remember when I first went over there, I didn't know, I wasn't sure what to expect, but I'm, here's what I decided in my own, Lord, I know that it's, it's going to be hot. 
It's not, I'm not going to be comfortable. I'm not going to, you know, not going to be able to crank on the air conditioning. I'm not going to be able, there's so many things that are not going to be available during my two-week missions trip. And I prepared myself for it. I, I readied myself for the reality that, you know what, I'm going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be hot. We're going to be traveling over, you know, in, in extreme situations across difficult territory and uncomfortable settings. I'm going to be sleeping in places that are not, you know, what I'm accustomed to. My nice, you know, king-size mattress at home. No, I, I, I readied myself for that. And guess what? When I got there, I wasn't surprised. I wasn't disappointed. It was everything I thought it was going to be rough. <laughs> but I had already prepared my heart for that, and it didn't discourage me. Lord, I know, you know this is, I can do this. This is what you've called me to do. This is part of what I'm going to be doing on this missions trip. So I prepared my heart for it. Had I gone over there thinking, well, I hope they have air conditioning. Man, I hope, you know, they better not pick me up in an old Jeep. I want to be picked up in a nice, you know, limousine. I want, you know, had I, had I, in my mind, had I imagined that I would have all my, guess what? When I got there, I'd have been shocked. You want me to sit, I, you know, the, the people in India are smaller. I'm like a big person over there. And in the seats, you know, I, don't worry, brother, it's only a two-day drive. <laughs> Two days, I can't sit in. Had I had this in my mind, of, you know, then and I, would have been, I would have been disappointed. I'd have been frustrated. I'd have been like, oh, this is too hard. This is, yeah. So what the, what the Apostle Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, this is part of being an effective witness for Christ. Prepare yourself to suffer. Don't be surprised. Peter said, don't think it's strange when these types of difficult things happen to you. Listen, Christian, you're going to be different. You're, gonna, you're not going to fit in everywhere, Christian. You shouldn't. You can't. You've been changed. You're now, you belong to Christ. And your life is to be a reflection of Christ. Did Jesus fit in? Was Jesus well-treated? Did they just embrace Him? They crucified Him. I want you to turn to a passage with me in Matthew chapter 10. Jesus warned His disciples, and His warning is to us today as well. Prepare yourself. You're going to be, if you think that, that somehow, now that you're a Christian, your life is just going to get easy, and people are all going to treat you better, and life is just going to be on the upswing from here out in terms of you know, the worldly way that we think, you're going to be very disappointed. Paul told Timothy, come share with me in the sufferings of the gospel. Matthew chapter 10, look at starting in verse 24. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, you know, they, if they called Jesus uh, son of the devil, how much more will they call those of his household? Therefore do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak it in the light. What you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear Him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. 
Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your Father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Jesus is encouraging. Listen, they're going to treat you bad. If they treated me bad and I'm the master, they're certainly going to treat you bad. You're my disciples. But don't be afraid of them. These things that I'm sharing with you, preach them. These things I'm telling you in secret, declare them in the light. Do not shy away from being a witness for Jesus Christ. Prepare yourself for the potential suffering that may follow. Look with me over in Mark chapter 8. Matthew, Mark. It's the next book to the right. Mark chapter 8. Jesus says many, so, so much of the same thing, but adds just a little, a little more uh, insight here. Mark chapter 8. And verse 34. When he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Turn with me back to Second Timothy. Jesus gives warning. Guys, don't be ashamed of my testimony. Understand that there will be persecution. Understand that there will be suffering. You won't be able to, 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 not, you won't be able to avoid that. All who endeavor to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Paul says, Timothy, get ready. Come share in it. Don't be afraid of it. Prepare yourself for it. When your heart is prepared for it, God will also give grace and power for you to, en to endure it. Notice what he says in the last part of verse 8. He doesn't say, go, go come share in the sufferings for the gospel all by your lonesome, but according to the power of God. God's grace will be with you in time of need. God's grace will comfort you when you need that, that help. There's testimonies of people that have gone through tr tremendous ordeals. And their testimony is always the same. God was with me. God gave me special grace for special circumstances. You may think, oh, I can't bear that. I don't want to suffer that. I don't think I can go through that. Not on your own you can't. But according to the power of God. As you give your your confidence to Him. God's grace will meet you even in difficult time, even when you may be called to suffer for the gospel. Third thing, we'll see, look at this in verse 9 through 11. The third thing that you need to have in your arsenal to be an effective witness for Christ is you must remember your calling. You must remember your calling. Look with me at verse 9. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling? And I'm just going to break this down bit by bit. I want you to get every part of this. First of all, it says He has saved us. God has saved you. God's rescued your life. 
God has done something wonderful for you. This is something that you must understand and appreciate. You're not going to be a very effective witness if you don't understand and appreciate what God has done. He saved you. You know, there's some people that I just can't say no to. They ask me for a favor, even if I don't want to do it, even if I don't feel like doing it, I just can't say no to them because they've been so good to me. They've done so many things for me. They've been so helpful in my life. And when they ask me, hey, can you do this? Yes. <laughs> I don't always want to, but I, I just can't say no. Now, there's other people. It's easy to say no. <laughs> no, can't. Sorry, busy. <laughs> but some people have done so much for me. They've been so involved and active in, either in my life or in my family that you know when they need something, I, I just have to be there for them. And that's, that's part of what, what I believe the Apostle Paul is saying here to Timothy. Timothy, be, be willing to, to, to witness and give testimony for Jesus Christ because He saved you. He has saved you. He who has done so much for you, can you not be what He has asked you to be in this generation? You're saved. God's done something wonderful for you. That in and of itself is reason enough to stand up and be a witness and be counted for Him. He's also called us. Look at the latter part of verse 9 and we'll read it also verse 10. He has saved us, saved us and He's called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. What is he saying? What does all that mean? Let me just pick it apart for you. First of all, he's called you with a, with a holy calling. The word holy means set apart. He has called you to be set apart. The call on the Christian, listen, if you're a Christian... There is a call. That call, what that means is He's calling you to be separated. You're no longer able to just live your life as you... No, I'm calling you to be separate. I'm calling you to be separate from the world. I'm calling you to be different. I'm calling you... I'm challenging you to live in a different reality. Young person, that's really hard. It doesn't get easier. Old, older folks, we can tell you that. We ourselves... We're not called to be like everybody else. We're called to a holy calling, set apart. We now have a purpose that God has for our life. A holy calling, not according to our works, not because we did something good, not because God saw something really cool in us. Oh, man, I could use that guy. I want to recruit him on my team. No, it had nothing to do with anything good in us, but rather it was according to His own purpose and grace, His own mercy, His love. And it was given to us in Christ Jesus when? Look at the last part of verse 9. When did He give it to us? Before time began. God has had this plan in mind for you before time began. He's called you to live holy, to be separated. He's got something in mind for you. This is for all that are called to, to the Lord, all that are Christians. We've been called out, generally speaking. There, there, there's this, this general identification. We're all called to be 
separated unto God. And this plan was not something that he just came up with, but rather something that he worked even before time began. God knew this. God had this in mind for you. He has now revealed it. Although it had been planned, it wasn't yet fully revealed until Christ came and did what he did on the cross and the resurrection. That's when he abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. God's The fullness of God's plan has now been revealed in Christ. It was a mystery prior to that. But God has now shown us the plan. It's now been revealed to us. He has conquered death when He rose from the grave. And look at verse 11. He has appointed us, to which Paul said, I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. Remember your calling. If you're going to be an effective witness for Christ, you need to recognize there's a calling on your life. You've been called to be to something separate, holy. You've been called to something that, that God had in mind before time began. You have been called to something that He has fulfilled by His own grace and power in the person of Jesus Christ. And as the Apostle Paul, you and I also have been appointed to something specific. Paul said, look, this is God's call for all Christians, and I've been appointed a very specific task within this general calling. And so do you have a specific task. Why do we need to be an effective... Why do we want to be an effective witness for Christ? Because God, God God has planned something for you. There may be someone... Listen, there may be someone that will that God has in mind for you to bring to Jesus. I'm not even going to say there may be. I'm sure that there is. There are lives that God has specifically that God has in mind for you to reach and to touch. You know, we live so much of our Christian lives, Lord, help me. Lord, bless me. Lord, I need. Lord, oh God, help me through this one. And listen, I, I, I'm right there. That's much of my prayer time is requesting of the Lord. But, the, but this has something else in mind. Instead of trying to get God's help into my life, it's, it's the idea of God recruiting me to His purpose, to His agenda. That's why I started tonight with the... What do you think is on God's mind tonight? Well, I know what's on my mind. I know the things that I need Him to help me on right now. But what's on His mind? And, and not that He cares nothing for our concerns. He does. He's, he's very concerned about your needs and your passions. But, but He has a passion. He has something on His heart. And I believe that He is in asking you, hey, yes, I love you. Yes, I will help you. Yes, I will provide for you. Yes, I will meet your needs. But I'm calling you to something as well. I'm asking you to come and be my messengers and my light in a world that's dark because I love these people and they're going to hell. And that's a real thing. And I sent my son to die for them and I need someone to share that with them. You have a calling. Don't forget, you've been called. This is not something that Billy Graham and the big evangelists do. Pastor, that's your job. You have been called. If you're in His family, you, you have this same calling that resides on your heart and life tonight as well. You must respond. 
You must recognize that. Remember your calling. Verse 12, number 4, on this list of six things that you need to be an effective witness, you must be persuaded. Verse 12, for this reason I also suffer these things. What reason? This this, uh, appointment that God, this calling that God has sent me, this mission that God has put me on, that's the reason I'm suffering these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. Why, Paul? For I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. You must be fully persuaded. If you don't really believe in what Jesus Christ has done for you, you're not going to be a very good witness. If you don't, Paul says, I know whom I have believed. Paul knew the Lord. Let me ask you, where is your personal relationship with the Lord tonight? How well do you know Him? Are you spending any time with Him? Are you spending any time in prayer? Are you develop- You're here tonight. That's a good sign. That says you're here and you're, you're interested in spiritual things. You have a desire to know Him more. And I don't mean to... to you know, I want to encourage you tonight. I don't want to make you feel in, inadequate tonight, but I, I want to also challenge you. You've got to know the Lord. If you're going to be an effective witness for Him, if you're going to be fully persuaded, you've got to have a relationship with Him. You need to spend time with Him. You need to communicate with Him. There needs to be prayer. There needs to be studying of His Word, trying to understand the mind of God. He's revealed Himself here. How do you get to know somebody? You spend time with them. That's the only way I know to get to know people. And you go through some things together, don't you? Music from heaven. <laughs> you know, my wife and I know each other pretty well. We're, we've been married 24 years. We've known each other longer than that because we actually met in junior high school. And we got married when after college. So we've known each other for a long time. But here's what's happened. We've gotten to know one another. And you know why? Because we've spent a lot of time, but we've also been through some things together. We've raised, you know, we're still raising four children together. And if you've raised children, you know there's some, there's some ups and downs, isn't there? There's some challenges that you go through together. My son Tyler, he's here with us tonight. He's getting ready to turn 18. When he was an infant, we almost lost him. He was just, what, a few weeks old in the hospital. Tony and I, he had an infection in his blood system. We spent, uh, we spent eight days in the hospital together at his bedside, praying, praying in the Spirit. We didn't know what to do. We thought we were going to lose him. God, you know, he, he recovered. They hooked him up, IV'd him up to a bunch of antibiotics, and we stayed there for seven days, and the fever finally broke after about three or four days, and he recovered. I'm not sure if everything is normal, but... (laughs) I had to, son. I'm sorry. (laughs) But we've gone through some things together. And listen, that's what it is. That's what your walk with the Lord is about, too. You're going to go through some things together. You're going to go through some times in your life that are tough. And you know what's going to happen during those really tough times? 
that's when you're going to get to know the Lord the best. I know my wife, I know more about my wife because of the difficult things we've been through. That's where we really know what we're made of. That's what you really know what kind of partner you have is when you go through tough times. And that's part of learning to know the Lord. That's why Paul said, I know whom I've believed. I know this God. Not on the surface, not oh, I met Him. I have walked through fire with my God and He has shown Himself to be faithful, to be strong, to be able to deliver me and keep me. And I am fully persuaded that everything that I have committed to Him is in safekeeping. You only learn some of those things by going through some things. And that's part of your relationship with the Lord. When you go through something tough, don't think, oh, God's abandoned me. It may very well be that God is trying to introduce Himself to you in an even deeper and more real way so that you too, like the Apostle Paul, can be fully persuaded. You're going to have to know Him. You're going to have to trust Him. You're going to have to be fully persuaded that He is able to keep what you've committed to Him. What have you committed to Him? I'll tell you what I've committed. I've committed my life to Him. I've committed all my hopes and dreams. I've committed my future, not only in this life, but all eternity. I'm believing that there is a heaven. I believe that, that I'm going to stand before this God and I'm trying to live my life today in a way that will prepare me for that day. And I believe that's what Apostle, the Apostle Paul... That's why, you, that's, why we, that's why I share Jesus. Because you're going to be there. You and I are going to stand before Him. I want you to know Him the way I know Him. I want you to be His child. I want you to be saved. You must be fully persuaded that God, this God that you're testifying of, is real. You can't, you can't share Him with somebody if you don't know Him very well. You can't be very convincing if you yourself have not experienced the truth of who He is, even in tough times. You must be fully persuaded. Fifth thing we'll find in verse 13 and 14. Guys, you've got to know your Bible. You better know your doctrine. The fifth thing you need to be an effective witness, you need to know the right doctrine. You need to know your Bible. Verse 13 and 14. Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which were in Christ Jesus. The good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Timothy, hold fast the pattern of sound words which you heard from me. Timothy, you need to know your faith. You need to understand your doctrine. You need to, you need to know the things that I have been teaching you. Timothy, Paul said to Timothy, Paul was an apostle. We are studying what we are studying tonight are those same words, the same teachings from that apostle because we believe that God empowered the apostle. It says in Ephesians 2.20 that the church is being built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. These teachings that have been handed down to us by the apostles are the very teachings that God has given them that we should know them and hold fast to them. In Jude 3, He says, Beloved, 
while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you or encouraging you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Let me tell you that you need to understand the Bible and you need to understand the doctrines of the Bible. My youngest son is taking a Bible class. He's a sophomore in high school. He's taking a Bible class. It's called Bible Doctrines. And he watches it on a video. And my wife and I are watching it with him, and I'm loving this guy. This guy's really a good teacher, but it sound, doesn't that sound boring? Sophomore in high school, Bible doctrines? Ugh. This guy's bringing it to life. Bible doctrine. And he said, here's why you need to know Bible doctrine. Here's why it's important. Here's what's going on. Here's, here's how the Christian faith is being challenged by science, by humanism, by you know our culture, by politics, by so many things coming in. You need to understand what you believe and why. That's why we're here tonight. We're, we're trying to study. We're trying to get our hands around the truth. Young and old. Young people, pay attention to the Bible studies. You need this stuff. These are the things that you're going to build your life on. And it's the strength and, and it's, the, it's the power of God is in this, these truths. Oh, how we need to know our word. Hold fast, Timothy, to these words. The good thing that was given to you, keep it. Keep it by the Holy Spirit. You need to have the right doctrine. And you also also need to have the right teacher. And the right teacher is the Holy Spirit. Keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, Paul's told Timothy in verse 14 there. I'll give you a couple verses concerning the Holy Spirit. Jesus, when He talked about the Holy Spirit coming, He said, the Helper, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and He's dwelling on the inside of you if you're a Christian. You're not alone. Jesus Christ is inside of you by His Spirit, the Holy Spirit. He's going to be... And it's that Holy Spirit who churns it. Man, I've been thinking about that all week. What's What's up with that? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's teaching you something. Holy Spirit's bringing these things to remembrance. Paul encourages Timothy, keep these things alive in the Holy Spirit. 1 John 2.26 These things I have written to you concerning those who will try to deceive you. That's why you need to know your Bible because there's going to be people trying to deceive you. But the anointing which you have received from Him abides in you. Talking now about the Holy Spirit. And you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in Him. The Holy Spirit will teach you truth. The Holy Spirit will take these words and make them alive to you. Read your Bible. Oh, it's boring. I don't understand it. Pray. Ask the Lord to open your eyes. Ask the Lord to give you understanding. Listen to good Bible teachers. Get on the web. Find, be careful. But find good Bible teaching ministries. If you need to know of some, I'd be happy to recommend some. There's plenty of good teaching. You just need to absorb your life into it. You need to make it available into your your life and thinking. Finally, and I'm closing, the sixth thing that I would suggest that you need to be an effective witness for the Lord. Number six, choose your friends wisely. Verse 15 through 18. This you know, that all those in Asia have turned away from me. 
among, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. I'm not sure about the pronunciation there. The Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you know very well how many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus. Paul is all alone now in prison in Rome. And he's telling Timothy, Timothy, some of the guys that were with me in ministry, they flew the coop. Now that times are a little tough, I find out who my true friends are. And some of these guys didn't hang. But he says, there's this one guy, Onesiphorus. He was good to me. I'm praying for him that the Lord will be good to him. Oh, he, he refreshed me. He came looking for me. He was a true friend in a time of need. I really believe that for us to be effective witnesses for Christ, we're going to need to pick the right kind of fellowship. You're going to have to pick the right kind of friends. And you're going to, here's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to let some go and you're going to have to hold on to others. And I believe that's what Paul is doing here. Hey, these two guys, they turned away, and I've let them go. But this one, who was so good to me, he's precious, and I'm holding on to him. Here's what I want for my life. I want to be around people who love the Lord. I want to be around people who want to talk about the Lord. I want to be with people that are, have a burden on their heart to serve the Lord. Because you know what? Those are the kind of people that stir me up to serve the Lord. I don't want to be around the people that, you know, there's nothing wrong with them. They're nice people, but they just have no spiritual ambition. You know, they just, you know, they're just, they're, they're great if you want to just, you know, you want to go out and go fishing. Hey, a lot of fun. But, there's just not stirring anything in me spiritually. I want to choose to be around. Now, I'm not saying we, you know, we snub people that aren't, you know, spiritual enough for us. I don't mean it that way. We need to go out and make friends with those that don't even know the Lord. We need to build relationship. That's how we're going to be a witness. But I'm talking about that close fellowship, those close friends, those people that you let in close to you. We need to be with people that are going to stir up spiritual life in us. And that's the kind of friend I want to be. We have some friends, and I'm going to close tonight uh, with this little testimony. We have some friends, Tony and I have some friends. We've known them since high school. And um, Mike, and they were Christians. We were Christian teenagers together. And we started this little prayer meeting one summer and just a handful and they were they were you know we were just teenagers none of us were married yet but tony and i were a couple and they were a couple and a few other people we got together for a prayer meeting and because we just had a hunger for more of the lord we we didn't know what we were doing we were just kids but man we were hungry for god we want to see god move this summer i want this just to be another summer well let's see this and we began to gather and we began to pray. And this, this, this gentleman who opened up his home, he was kind of a, involved in the youth at this church we were attending. 
and a handful of four or five began to pray. And by the end of the summer, when it was time to go back to school, I had about 250 kids meet in this house. Pastor Brian Parrish, the pastor who sent me out, he got saved that summer. A buddy of mine went, we invited him to this Bible study. God was moving. <laughs> the Holy Spirit was just falling on the place. I can't explain it. I've never seen anything like it. But the Spirit of God was just stirring, and kids were getting saved. Kids were getting filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and like I said, the pastor who now has sent me out in ministry got saved that summer. God did a wonderful work in so many lives. And when we get together with this couple, we just, you know, we just stir it up. and you know, That's all we want to talk about. It's the Lord, what's he doing now? Well, he's not doing enough, but we want more, you know, we want more too. And we talk about our kids and we want the same kind of things that we experience. We want that for our kids. There's just a spiritual, um, you know, unity and, a, and, a, and there's this spiritual... Um, can't explain it, but we, we generate spiritual life in one another. That kind of like putting coals together. They just kind of warm one another. And then they, and they we went out and we had a nice time with them. And they came by Sunday, this last Sunday. They just happened to be around and they stopped in. And we had another long time of fellowship and we prayed. And we, oh, it was just a really good time. And the Holy Spirit spoke. There was a, a little word of prophecy that was given. And it was a really a good time in the Lord. These are the kind of people I want to fellowship with. These are the kind of people I want to be around. Some of you are that way too, by the way. I love you guys. Some of you guys too. Love all of you. I'm challenging you to be that kind of friend. I'm challenging you to look for those kinds of friends. You know what you need. And you know what you don't need. And part of being an effective witness, part of being all that God has called you to be, is going to be determined upon who you surround yourself with and what you what those relationships bring spiritually into your life. That's why I think it's good for us to be together. That's why I love to see the church fellowshipping, talking about the Lord. And you don't have... It, you know, I'm not saying we all, oh, just have to always talk. you gotta, you got to talk like this. This is the spiritual, the spiritual voice you use. And you don't always talk about Jesus. You know, I, you know, you talk about sports. You can talk about the love, the fellowship. But we love the Lord. And when there's a need, hey, I'm praying for you. Hey, what's going on? Yeah, oh, God's been good. Let me tell you what God's doing. And we stir up. The Bible says, stirring one another up to good works. There's, Paul is telling Timothy, stir up the gift within you. But Paul himself is trying to stir something up in Timothy. And the Bible encourages us to do that in one another. Choose your friends wisely. Amen? All right, let me close this in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word tonight, these encouraging words to Timothy. Encouraging him to be the man that you had called him to be. The man that, that he was called to be before the beginning of time. Father, I know that there are those of us in here tonight that need a little stirring. We need to be reminded of what's important. What are the priorities, not on my mind tonight, Lord, but on your mind. And I want to get in step with that. I want to be about my Father's business. I want my life to be in step with the Holy Spirit. And Lord, wherever that may take us, and Lord, it, it, just in this small 
gathering of people tonight, we go from here to so many different worlds, different schools, different age levels, different workplaces, different communities. God, but all of us go out as messengers carrying within us the very truth of the gospel. Lord, I pray that you would help us to to take this study to heart tonight and to remember our calling and to not be ashamed, but to be fully persuaded in all of these things, God. Stir this up in us, Lord, not in some emotional hype, but in a real decision about the way I'm going to live my life, the person that I'm going to be, the person that I've decided to be is, is after you. I'm setting my heart after you. Like the psalmist, Lord, the psalmist said, I set my face like flint, like stone. I am determined to to follow after you, God. I pray that you would work that into the hearts, even of the young people here tonight. And Lord, of us that are older, God, stir us up as well by your Holy Spirit to be all that you've called us to be, Lord. There's never been a better time there's just, Lord, there, this, is a, this is a time when, it, when powerful witnesses for Christ are desperately needed. And Lord, it must have been that you thought we would be good for this time. Because here we are. And I know, Lord, if I'd have been more effective a thousand years ago, I'd have been born a thousand years ago. No, you put me at this place, at this time, for such a time as this. So this is my time. Lord, I want to use it wisely, and I pray for all of us as a church, God, that we would be effective, that we would walk after those things that you set before us, not being afraid, not shrinking back, but as Paul encouraged Timothy, Lord, we would that spirit of love, power, and a sound mind would go with us, and that we would walk in the things, Lord, that you've called us to. We set our hearts after that, Lord, and we trust that by your spirit you will begin to work those things in our lives. Thank you again, Father, for your word in this time. In Jesus' name, amen.